It's time for Canada to acknowledge its history for what it is. That it was wrong and has no place in our society. These are the hard truths that are part of Canada's history. All were deprived of the care and nurturing of the love and care of their families. And we apologize for having done this. not apologizing sooner. Far too many continue to face adversity today. Mr. I humbly Speaker, I stand, stand before, before you today to offer an offer a long overdue apology. God bless all of you. God bless everyone. We also have no history of colonialism. Colonialism. We also have no history of Is a painful chapter Government of, of Canada Canada's history apologizes and asks to forgive. We are sorry to all of you. We are sorry. A vous tous, nous sommes profondément désolés. Welcome to Ears Have Eyes, here on CJSW 90.9 FM in Mokinsis, broadcasting from the University of Calgary on Treaty 7 territory in southern Alberta. Home to the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Tsitina First Nation, the Stony Dakota, and Métis Nation of Alberta, Region 3. We're your hosts, Caitlin Brown and Wayne Garrett. We started this week's show with a segment of Detuning the Anthem, an experimental sound walk by Tyler Stewart. Tyler is an interdisciplinary artist, curator, and writer of settler descent, living and working in Siksakai-Satapi territory in the city of Lethbridge. His current research focuses on the role of sound within the ongoing structure of settler colonialism in Canada, and how artists use sound as a form of resistance and refusal against imbalances of power. We'll return to detuning the anthem multiple times over the course of this month's episode. For context, this piece is one part of a sound walk, encouraging an active process of walking in public space while listening to a series of orchestrated musical compositions on headphones. The project invites listeners to critically reflect on the role of the Canadian national anthem in our society, unsettling the peacemaker myth of Canadian history and examining both the content and context of our national anthem's continuing evolution. We'll hear more from Tyler shortly. You are listening to Ears Have Eyes on CJSW 90.9 FM. Ears Have Eyes is a monthly sound art radio program. The theme of today's program is Journey, Sound Walks, Travel, and Traversing the Land. 
From Road Trips to Immigration, Meditations on Nationhood to Outer Space Travel, the upcoming Soundworks meditate on placeness. The idea of place is not solid, but unfolding in simultaneous layers dependent on personal embodiment, acknowledged histories, and cultural perspectives. Lucy Lippard talks about place as multi-centered, localized in a map of memories, political and personal. All places, she writes, exist somewhere between the inside and the outside view of them, the ways in which they compare to and contrast with other places. The upcoming binaural composition comes from Eduardo Gama, a Portuguese sound artist and sound designer based in Bristol, UK. Titled The Tunnel, this piece is part of Oral Postcards, a series navigating identity, memory, and displacement. Derived from the artist's research into the idea that everyone is a migrant and has felt displacement at some point in their life, this work reflects on journeys within and without. This is The Tunnel on CGSW 90.9 FM. Hello. So I'm, I'm sending this message from Boiling Wells Tunnel. Um, this is a special little tunnel because there is a, there is a little stream flowing underneath uh, in a smaller tunnel uh, and uh, it gives a special feature to this railway tunnel um, it uh, gives an extra echo um, so the sound travels back and forth on the line of the stream um, yeah at least this is this is how someone explained it to me um, and um, yeah this this quality somehow makes people feel kind of very liberated and playful and the uh, people often whoop when they walk through this tunnel uh, children and also grown-ups and it's always very um, very sweet to witness it very sweet to witness people feeling free and accepted enough to express themselves to be that playful um, and <laughs> what does it all have to do with being a migrant and feeling displaced um, something to do with the voice and 
my journey with the voice and what I have experienced and witnessed and um, how I feel and witness that we have so many voices and qualities inside of us which are not which are not on the surface, which are not used. Perhaps they are not accepted, not welcomed, not encouraged. Perhaps they are not not pretty or useful, profitable, comfortable, logical, linear. And uh, yeah, some would say all the wide parts of ourselves and um, all the suppressed parts of ourselves. And um, I guess um, it's it's kind of it's kind of a symbol of our beingness, human beingness as well. How we how we arrive into this body from somewhere and and often our families, caregivers and teachers and society cannot welcome us as as we might need it. found myself not being understood and I thought that it must have been because my English was not good enough and my accent was too strong. and accepted and people are interested in us then language is not a barrier and uh, being a migrant does not necessarily mean that we don't belong um, and somehow this this Tana 
here just gives me the sense of feeling home and feeling accepted and liberates me to sing my song and uh, voice my voice and traveling around and yeah it kind of gives a spaciousness and acknowledgement of us and it's just yes there is something beauty in there is a possibility of belonging wherever we are <laughs> and there is this <clears throat> cheesy thought about it that <laughs> this this little stream is is going towards mother ocean and how we say that all all the all the rivers and streams are flowing to the ocean and uh, and that the voice in this tunnel is is kind of returning to me and yeah it's a kind of journey and returning home <laughs> and that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and that there is a home at the un end of the journey and there is a belonging at the end of the longing when we follow that longing so uh, there we go I hope I wish that um, we all be able to see and feel and accept where we are not welcomed and somehow through feeling that pain we can feel the longing which might guide us back home to belonging whatever it means to you to me maybe it's very similar in a way because we are all human so wishing us all well
You just heard Undergrowth by D.C. Gale. D.C. Gale is a composer and musician originally from Okinsis, Calgary, currently residing in Chochage, Montreal, and studying electroacoustic music. Undergrowth is a short piece completed in March 2022 about revisiting memory, personal growth, and new perspectives in listening through a soundwalking practice. The undergrowth of a city, in this case, a busy city underpass, is just as alive as the undergrowth of a memory. They each give rise to new landscapes in their own ways. Up next on our program is a segment from a podcast by Walking Lab, a research creation project co-directed by Stephanie Springay at McMaster University and Sarah E. Truman at the University of Melbourne. Walking Lab studies the theory and practice of walking methodologies, exploring and developing innovative interdisciplinary practices. Funded by the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council, Walking Lab's podcast captures their intersectional research and can be heard in its entirety on walkinglab.org. This is an excerpt from Introduction to Critical Walking Methodologies from Walking Lab. Walking has a long and diverse history in the social sciences and humanities. Recently, there is a sense of urgency and affirmation surrounding walking, which is entangled with the desire to generate research and knowledge in situ that is community-based and that is attuned to more than human entanglements and encounters. In an era of complex social and political issues, such as climate change, capitalism and forced migration, to name a few, there is an increasing demand for public and community action. Further, academics continue to grapple with ways to present research findings to non-academic audiences, while marginalised and oppressed people take up ways to transform and decolonise social and political space and institutions. To this end, walking has become more than a utilitarian or pedestrian mode of getting from place to place, Walking is an ethical and political call to collective action. Significantly, amidst the urgency and renewed interest in walking, is a shift in the ethical and political intentions that are brought to bear on questions of who gets to walk where, how we walk, under whose terms, and what kind of publics are produced. Against the backdrop of health and well-being that promotes walking as a free and accessible way to exercise, Critical walking scholarship accounts for the ways that walking is imbricated in legacies of settler colonial harm, white supremacy and functions to police and regulate diverse bodies. To that extent, the flaneur is a problematic walking trope in that he is conditioned by autonomy, ability, whiteness and masculinity, and as such, he is able to walk anywhere, detached from the immediate surroundings. The flaneur emerged as a distinctive figure in 19th century Paris. He was portrayed as a disinterested, leisurely observer of the urban scene, taking pleasure in losing himself in the crowd and becoming a spectator. As an elite figure, the flaneur was able to wander the city with no purpose or destination in mind. The flaneur enjoys a tremendous amount of spare time is free to move in urban space and possesses the detachment of a scientist, although he often writes or is written about poetically. The flaneur remains anonymous and detached from the city and thus is supposedly able to observe the world around him. 
Walter Benjamin wrote on and popularised the anaesthesia of the flaneur. In the decades since, many qualitative researchers, particularly those interested in urban ethnographies, use the flaneur to inform their practices. Instead of the flaneur, Walking Lab posits different conceptualizations of walking that think critically about what it means to move. For example, disability scholar and activist Eliza Chandler narrates how when walking in the city, her body is figured as being in place and different at the same time. Chandler's critical disability research emphasises the problematic images and representations, including those offered via walking, that need to be disrupted. Instead of the strolling flaneur, Chandler's walking narratives of dragging legs and tripping toes enacts a different narrative of moving in the city. In another example, Garnett Cadogan details his experience of walking in New York City and the list of tactics that as a black man he has to employ, such as no running, no sudden movements, no objects in hand, no hoodies and no loitering on street corners. Quite unlike the invisible and detached flaneur, Cadogan's tactics emphasise the material realities of walking while black. Feminist walking artists and scholars Deidre Hedon and Kathy Turner argue that the history of walking engenders a fraternity and valorises individualistic, heroic and transgressive metaphors. Taking up Hedon and Turner's convictions, Walking Lab is attuned to critical walking methodologies that don't assume walking is a convivial, automatically embodied, inclusive and depoliticised mode of doing research and pedagogy. Theoretically aligned with feminist theories, anti-racist theories, queer and trans theories, critical disability studies, affect studies and anti-colonialism, Walking Lab insists that walking methods must engage with the intersections of gender, race, sexuality and disability. Critical walking methodologies attend to walking beyond health or as innovative method and in particular take up walking with an attention to anti-ableism, anti-racism and anti-colonialism. Critical walking methodologies insist that the intersections of identity, the place where research takes place and how one moves through space be critically complicated and accounted for.
That was Trip Around, a palate cleanser from local musician Richard Gallant of Curved Walls. Find Curved Walls on Bandcamp to hear the complete album. The next work is an autobiographical story from local artist, writer, and retired teacher Kathleen Moores. At the age of 67, Kathleen is completing her BFA at AU Arts. Her work concerns itself with the ritual of walking and with the body's orientation with roots and pathways. The upcoming narrative, Worlding, uses the pursuit of desktop globes from people around Calgary as an analogy for experience, place, memory, loss, and celebration. Driving around the city, acquiring globes from strangers off online marketplaces in a short-distance road trip, Kathleen deals with the hyper-local and the international in one quotidian narrative of experience in a quest for miniature worlds. This is Worlding by Kathleen Moores. Our family drove the Trans-Canada Highway multiple times on our east-west migrations as a family of the Canadian forces. We sang road songs at certain times of the day, usually when the three, then four, then five children were getting rangy or uncomfortable. Mum and Dad would break out into a cheerful and upbeat version of He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the itty-bitty baby. He's got you and me, brother. He's got you and me, sister. He's got the whole world in his hands. As I type, I can hear their voices, melded as though they were sitting behind me here. I feel the inflections. I see the road like a ribbon opening in front of us. I hear my brother's voice chime in. I see the road behind us disappearing. Everything merges. I remember the globe in Mr. McKay's classroom. He was the teacher who told us about Vietnam. He pointed it out on the globe. He told us about communism. I was only in grade five. It terrified me that he said that nothing would change. He pointed to Cambodia next and talked about the never-ending conflict and the price that ordinary people were paying, the numbers who were dying. I hoped we were far away from it all. He didn't show us where we are on the globe. Vietnam felt very close. The globes collected on the top shelf in the library. Teachers were to sign one out at the beginning of the year and return it at the end. Not many teachers signed them out, so whenever I would go into the library, there they sat in a row, beautiful spheres gathering the light of day and shining like treasure mirroring the hanging of solar system models back in the day when teachers could hang things from their ceilings. The display of multiple globes spoke of museums and archives, maps no longer in use, dated, dusted once a year when all of the others were checked back into the library. 
I wrote to Cheryl about her $65 globe. She lives in Coventry Hills. It was a Cram's 1964 Imperial Globe, a unique gift for collecting enthusiasts. Great shape for 56 years old. Pick up only. I had to decide just how serious I was about gathering up globes. This one was expensive and quite a distance away. Cheryl and I shared a pleasant exchange. I really, really wanted a Cram's 1964 Imperial Globe. We moved on to text message where finally she suggested I might not want to drive in rush hour traffic. I responded, no kidding. And then our exchange ended, and I thought, surely I can find something closer to home. Christy in Fairview responded to my request. Cash only, 15 bucks. It was dark when I drove that night. On some houses, Halloween decorations were still in evidence. I was spooked by the darkness and the feeling of this other world. The crescent was unlit, and I couldn't see house numbers. I got out and wandered around for a while, walking up several front sidewalks. Finally, with little charge left on my phone, I texted, I can't find you. The reply, we have a rock wall and a big red truck and a trailer out front. The globe only recently came into Christie's possession. Her husband purchases storage lockers, and it was in a locker. She had no use for a globe. Tiffany's globe had already sold. Carrie's globe was $20 and located in Riverbend. I wandered around this unfamiliar neighborhood for quite a long time. My GPS wasn't speaking to me, but expecting me to pull over every now and then and get my bearings. Was Carrie a male? I wondered as he mysteriously opened the door, stuck the globe on the front step, and snapped the $20 bill out of my hand. He didn't answer my interview questions. I got more lost leaving Riverbend than entering in. Although I was closer to home, this trip into the city took me longer than any other. Nicola, in North Mountain Park, advertised a globe for $15. She said she'd leave her globe on the front step because she wasn't going to be home. I was to leave money in the bin. I arrived and there was no globe on the front doorstep. I left my cash in her bin and stepped out onto the sidewalk after ringing the doorbell. Nicola's boyfriend opened the door, bare-chested and obviously still in need of sleep. He shut the door and said he'd call Nicola. Shortly after, he opened the door and put my globe on the step, saying only, She forgot. A text awaited me when I got back into my car. Sorry, I forgot. Nicola didn't write anything to my interview questions, 
She advertises herself on Marketplace as being a child care worker from Christchurch, New Zealand. Jackie was in Regina at the time, but was advertising a globe for $10. Whitehorn was quite a distance, but hey, this was a great price. I had to wait until she was heading back to Calgary, and so I met her at her place after she had settled back at home. Her uncle had dumped his stuff on her place because he had an urgent reason for returning to Mexico. She had no use for this globe. I approached the house and rang the doorbell, and her pit bull raged against the front picture window. I wondered if I really wanted to be standing on her doorstep when she opened the door. And so I headed out to the street while listening to her shouting at the dog. I was relieved when the exchange was complete. As I heard her long story about the problems she was having trained her dog, not, she clarified, a pit bull, but a doggo argentino, and that put me at ease. Elena texted me a story behind her $20 globe, described as vintage on Marketplace. I needed to set aside an hour and a half for the trip to and from her home in Scenic Acres. Originally from Russia, Elena purchased this globe from an estate sale to show her young daughter where they had come from. Now 13, Elena said that her daughter had lost interest in making those connections. She added that for a long time, her daughter enjoyed pointing out their family holiday spots. The sixth globe was collected from my adult daughter living in Bonavista. She didn't need me to pay for the globe, but I am expected to buy a replacement second-hand when I can. She purchased the globe on Marketplace in order to show my grandson where his nanny, living in London, lives. As well, when places get named in stories, they take the time to look at where those places are. Stephen was having a difficult time understanding just how far away his other grandmother and his uncle and cousins live. I'm not really certain, remembering Mr. McKay, how children understand distance when they look at a small globe. It's a disorienting consideration. This project, likely ongoing, causes me to think about my emergence into the suburbs of one city, my connections with people I would not ordinarily connect with, my feelings of hesitation or embrace when I move into other neighborhoods, and how time of day impacts those feelings. I am recontextualizing the meaning of the globe, a colonizing construct throughout the process. You know, um, you, should, you should think of um, my work as wordless 
sound poems. Noise and music inhabits the tension within contradictions. Noise and music as opposing elements. of noise in music that a grafting of the old plant of real-world noises and how much interpretation and reception hinges on presentation of the noise, structure of the song, and context of the overall piece. Nothing exists in a vacuum, especially in popular music, be it mainstream, indie, or deeply experimental. The oral common ground of sound has become a place for expression of the new, recognition of the old, and emerging of both. There is no phrase in common use akin to train song. Trains passing on busy metro lines do not form a chorus to human ears. Or so they say. There is a throbbing feeling, a cosmopolitan pulse throughout the song, much like in a densely populated city, waiting at a downtown station, standing on the platform, feeling the thrum of a train coming down the tracks, motion and movement encapsulated in physically felt sounds, urban percussion occurring naturally, yet mechanically in the real world.
encoding of a piece of music leads to listeners decoding the real-world noises used with a dual meaning of the sounds used as both noise and musical components. Like in poetry and music itself, repetition is crucial to communicating noise as music. With the real-world associated meanings intact, and new ones encoded through inclusion in the music, in the art of performance, whether live in a concert hall or played in a recording You just heard wordless sound poems made mainstream from University of Calgary student Callum Robertson, a sound collage drawing from research into the use of real-world noises in music. Their piece is intended as a journey through history and place, attempting to answer the query, what is music and what is noise? With the following composition, we return to Tyler Stewart's Choose Your Own Audio Adventure project, Detuning the Anthem. The next invitation is to find a location removed from other social sounds, such as roadways or large crowds. Ideally, this location would be near to, or within, eyesight and earshot of a natural body of water. Examples might include a park, river valley, or open field. You can follow along with Detuning the Anthem at your own pace and hear additional tracks by visiting detuningtheanthem.ca. In the upcoming composition, artist and musician Tyler Stewart continues to deconstruct political dynamics around settler colonialism and the Canadian National Anthem. Using CBC News clips, the work asks listeners to reflect on their own position within the structure of settler colonialism in Canada and our individual collective responsibilities to this place. First, I, I spoke in my Inuit language because I, I wanted to illustrate to you that our language and culture is still strong. Finally, we heard Canada say it is sorry. It's been a long time in coming. Too long. We bear witness today in this house that our survival as First Nations peoples in this land is affirmed forever. And the women that we represent brave survivors through the telling of their painful stories and it's about have stripped white supremacy of its authority and legitimacy. In
our true role models. And now because, because of your resi resiliency, your courage, and we your strength, you have made have me the strong elders. Aboriginal Algonquin Canadian that I am today. Let us not be lulled into an impression that when the sun rises tomorrow morning, the pain and scars will miraculously be gone. They won't. But a new day has dawned. The irresistibility of speaking truth to power is real. Today is not the result of a political game. Instead, it is something that shows the righteousness and importance of our struggle. There is still misunderstanding about the situation of the Métis Nation. Our peoples, our history, and our present being are the essence of Canada. We are, and always have been, an indispensable part of the Canadian identity. Government of Canada take full responsibility, 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 full responsibility. Because now it is about our responsibilities today, our responsibilities today, our responsibilities today, our responsibilities today, our responsibilities today. There is much hard work to be done. We need the help and support of all thoughtful Canadians and our governments to rebuild strong, healthy families and communities. This can only be achieved with dignity, confidence and respect for traditional values and human rights once again become part of our daily lives and are mirrored in our relationship with governments and other Canadians. We must not falter in our duty now. It is possible to end our racial nightmare. Today, universally, is it not only a great day to be an Aboriginal person, to be an Algonquin, but a Canadian.
I am in the clinket. Yes. 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 Okay, Raven and Crow and Raven. Where'd you know I'm from? The Yukon? No. North? Who are you? That's Easy Sass. What's your name what's your name? Kira. One second. Um, can you talk about what your nations are? Raven and Crow and Raven? Are those your nations or your clans? Clans. What nation are you? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? What does nation mean? What does nation mean? Are you Haida? No. Are you Niska? No. What nation are you? Teltan. Mm-hmm. And? Clinket. What does nation mean? What does nation mean? Clinket. What does nation mean? What kind? Do you live in the ocean or do you live in by the rivers? Rivers. Which is inland, right? So you're inland, Clinket? Clinket? Yes. Do you see that? I'm, I'm in inland Clinket. Say, I'm inland Clinket. I'm inland Clinket. I am inland clinket. I am inland clinket. I am inland You just heard What Does Nation Mean by Taltan and Tlingit artist Edziu from their debut album Kime Ani, a collection of sound art compositions featuring three generations of their grandmother's voices alongside voices from present and future generations. What Does Nation Mean asks the listener to examine their hearts, mind, and place amidst colonial so-called Canada as guided by the voice of a youthful collaborator exploring their nationhood in a journey of recognition unfolding in place. You're listening to Ears Have Eyes on CJSW 90.9 FM, broadcasting across Mukinsis and Treaty 7 lands. To learn more about the artists or find links to their work, visit hibernationproject.ca and find the tab Ears Have Eyes. The theme of this month's episode has been journey, but it's really about the multidimensional acknowledgement of place over time and distance. We share in gratitude for this place in particular. At the confluence of Bow and Elbow Rivers, with thanks to the First Nations who cared for these lands long before my or Wayne's ancestors arrived and continue to prioritize its intrinsic magics. Thank you to today's artists for sharing their work and to CJSW for hosting this monthly sound art radio series. The theme of next month's episode is Rising Water, Over, Around, and Through. 
July's episode theme is blazing. Red hot words, essential feelings. If you want to submit your own original sound-based works, visit hibernationproject.ca for more information. Our final work on today's program comes from Hong Kong-based sound engineer and experimental sound artist, Lauren Wong. In this piece, we're traveling off-world on the journey to the moon. of insomnia. My past whispers in my ears. I turn my gaze heavenless. Outside the window, the moon gears. Strolling up and down the woodland lane. The car crossed my connection with the moon. I lose my way in the darkness. Most I only can feel is good. A breeze brings me a smell of normal. The smell of the moon, I know. I know I am almost there. The moon has never left me alone. Here I come, my friend. The lagoon glistens gently. The moon lies down next to us. You come for her with your hand tenderly. We talk about the past. Present and future are love for us. The moon has been witnesses our stories. She did shine when she does. We sing out our songs. We have no idea about how much I wish to hear you. I always feel like you're still here. I stand up, looking into the lagoon and bottling up all my fear inside. I check myself into the full Smash the refresher. Maybe it is time to live. Collide with our obsession. 